You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Today, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 20-26. Uh, through 26. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 20. You don't have to read along with me. I've, we've done that quite a bit, and I know it's tough, so... Y'all can just follow along with me. You don't have to read with me, just so you know. It's on the screen if you don't have it in your own Bible. 2 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 20, Paul says this. He says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. I'd like to pray over God's word. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is such a privilege to come and to hear your word preached. It's a privilege for me to preach your word. God, pray that your spirit would be powerfully present among us. And Father, pray that you would come and help us now to think about and to hear from you on what it means to be a servant of God, to live our lives in a way that we would sacrificially serve you, serve others around us. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I read through uh, this text this week and studied it and Spent some time journaling, so on and so forth. I was uh, reminded as I read the opening words, especially if you look at the opening words of the text again, Paul says, now in a great house. Uh, When I read those words, it reminded me of uh, the image that he uses in 1 Timothy. We're in 2 Timothy right now, but in 1 Timothy, he uses an image uh, very similar to this. Uh, I think both 1 and 2 Timothy are built on some of the same concepts. In 1 Timothy, Paul um, says in chapter 3, verse 15, he says that he wants the members of the church to know how one ought to behave in the household of God, right? It's that same image, in the household of God. He goes on, he says, which is the church of the living God. So the household of God is the church of the living God. And then he qualifies it again or describes it again. He says, it's a pillar and buttress of the truth. So it stands firm and it has a foundation. It's a pillar and buttress and it's it's used like a battering ram of truth. So that's the household of God, which is the church of the living God. That's the image he uses in 1 Timothy. He comes back to that again here and he says, now in a great house. So I think of both images together, right? It's a singular image. And I think, the, I think the point that Paul is making as he paints this image is this. I think it's that the church is meant to be a great household, right? It's meant to be the great household of God. 
And I think what God intends to do with his home is to fill his home with people who live to serve him above all else. I think that's Paul's intent. Now the problem, of course, for us as we read that, as we think about that image, is that when we become part of God's household, right? The the moment that we surrender to Jesus as our Savior, we, we don't usually understand that we are also simultaneously being called to surrender to Jesus as our King. Uh, we, we like the benefits of salvation. I get out of hell. Right? We like the benefits of salvation. But oftentimes I think we wind up kind of cringing back away from the expectations of what it means to be a servant of that Savior who is our King. I think we have a tendency to cringe away from those expectations, even if those expectations are actually for our own good. Another way to think about this um, is to think about our natural tendency to come into God's household as consumers. Right? And if you've been with us for very long, you, you know that we, I talk about consumerism quite a bit. Part of the primary reason is that we are consumers. And uh, in America, maybe even more so than, than other places, uh, consumerism is, is a massive part of the way that our hearts and souls are shaped throughout the day and throughout the week. So I think part of the way we come into the household of God often is as a consumer. One who enjoys being served by other servants of God. And then we begin to balk or kind of back off when it comes to the expectations of being transformed into contributing members who then are expected to actually serve God, right? You're expected to serve God by serving others from a pure heart of loving sacrifice. And when you you think about that term, loving sacrifice, you think about the Savior that we claim and the way that He lovingly sacrificed Himself so that we might be served in His work at the cross. Having someone sacrificially serve you or to, to serve I feels attractive to an extent. It's nice to be served. I remember during COVID, when we had COVID, I remember numerous times people would bring food over to our house, right? And I want to pick on Karen just to pick on Karen. She's like, God, you said my name. But I remember she brought some food over on, on, on the cover, I think, or on the lid. There were like these little notes that you had taken time to write. I don't remember how they all went, but they were absolutely hilarious. And I was like, like I would have made food, but I don't know that I would have ever thought of like taking time to write little notes, like little jokes. Um, I think it feels good or it feels attractive to be served sacrificially by someone else. But when the calling lands on me to sacrificially serve others to the point that it even hurts, then, then that's like when there's skin in the game, right? That's when things change. And I start counting. Boy, do I have time for that? Do I have funding for that? Do I, do I really want to do that? I also think this, I, I think if you get down underneath of that serving issue, right, the, the complex that we have when it comes to serving others at times, um, I think that serving others requires a certain sense of moral fortitude, right? You've got to have a kind of a moral, uh, like, a, like a compass kind of a center. There has to be some strength there 
when it comes to our moral fortitude. It takes commitment. That's what I'm saying. It takes commitment to be in a place where you say, I want to sacrifice my life to serve other people. I think this is Paul's vision. I think this is Paul's vision for members and leaders within the household of God. I think what he's saying in the text that we're reading today is that I think he's hoping that members and leaders within the household of God would be servants of God who are also growing in godly character at the same time. Right? You can try to get into a place of service, but if you don't have the character to back it up, it matters none at all. Uh, my old pastor, when I first began following Jesus, would always say, Joe, you have some good gifts, um, yet you need to ensure that your gifts cannot take you where your character cannot sustain you. And uh, oftentimes in the church, and I, and I think not just in the church, but even in business, oftentimes we look for talent, we look for gifting, we look for ability, and we don't look for character. Um, one commentator I was reading this week pointed out that in some sectors, especially maybe in sports or entertainment, character, moral fortitude, uh, could actually be an issue for you to be able to perform well in those places because in the sports world, the sports arena, or in the uh, entertainment industry, it might just require ability and actually having less moral fortitude may get you further because you'll cut corners to get there. So you'll get W's or you'll get good ratings because your ability is there and your character doesn't matter. Of course, the commentator would argue that out to say, no, actually, it does matter that you have character, even in those places. It's just in our culture, we don't value that. And he's saying, when you come to the Bible and you look at what God says, God is saying, hey, character actually matters. More so than what you are enabled to do. What you are, what you are, who you are, is far more important than what you do. Because... What you actually do, your behavior, the way that you respond, the way you react, the things you say, the things you think, all of that flows out of who you actually are, what you actually are. It proves deep down inside the inner character, the moral fortitude of a person. You want to know the character of a man, look at the behavior and the thoughts of his life. So the question is, if Paul is saying, and if God is saying through Paul here that we uh, should be servants of God who are growing in godly character, then how do we do this? Right? How do you become a servant of God who's growing in godly character? First thing I notice in the text, verses 20 through 21, is that we need to see the difference between doing, being trash cans and serving dishes. Right? That's what he talks about. We need to see the difference between being trash cans and serving dishes. You might not have caught it right away, but it's there. Um, evaluating and uh, differentiating between what it looks like, what it means to be a trash can, or what it looks like and what it means to be a serving dish. When you can think about that and clearly see the difference between the two, uh, this is what will actually, I think, help all of us see our current unwanted realities clearly, okay, and then begin to strive towards a more desirable future. Let me argue this another way. You have to be able to see the difference between a trash can and between a serving dish if you're going to become a servant of God who's growing in godly character and who is able to serve up good meals, right? 
And this is why Paul, I think, says in verses 20 through 21, he says, In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, right? Pricey vessels, instruments. But there's also vessels of wood and clay. Um, these are trash cans or waste buckets. They didn't have toilets, okay? Some were used for honorable use. Some were used for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, I think that's a key. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So the, the, the differentiation he's making here is that if you're a trash can in the master's house, you're useless. Because in the master's house, there's no need for trash cans. There are some commentators and some theologians that would like to use this passage to claim that you should have unbelievers as members in the church. Now, I will always make this distinction. There should be unbelievers and believers gathered in the gatherings of the church. But that does not make all of us members what makes you a member of God's church and household and useful is if you have cleansed yourself. And the way that you cleanse yourself and become a dish that is used to serve up good, glorious meals is if you become a believer by trusting in Jesus and you're cleansed from your sins by Jesus' work at the cross. Make sense? The reality here is that you cannot serve nourishing meals in filthy trash cans. I, I mean, would you, can you imagine if you went to somebody's house and they had taken all this really fine food? We were talking about smoking up a bunch of meat the other night because we do that quite a bit. And uh, can you imagine taking all that good food that you've just made and then sticking it in a trash can and then setting it in the middle of the table and saying, chow down? I mean, you would have, if you had guests over, they'd be repulsed by that, right? For good reason. And so this is why Paul is saying, hey, don't be a trash can in God's church, because God's church doesn't have a place for trash cans to be members. You, you can't be useful. He wants us to be serving dishes, right? Like it, It's such a beautiful analogy when you look at it and when you think about it. Again, as I said, in Timothy's day, you had trash cans, you had serving dishes uh, for delivering that food and for taking out trash just like we do today. I think Paul's intention is that we be serving dishes. Um, which I think means, again, I think I've already said this, but to, to, to just say it one more time, um, I think every person who, who claims the name of the Lord, every person who does so is expected to cleanse themselves of the filthy garbage of sin. Right? It's sin that makes us dirty. And the way that we do that is by trusting in the gospel, and by obeying the gospel, you're trusting the message of Jesus, crucified for our sins, risen in victory over death, returning in triumph over Satan. You're not only trusting in that message, but you're also living in obedience to that message as God calls you to be holy, to be continuously cleansed. Um, Joe Nelson reminded me earlier that is it 1 John 1 9 that says that you come and you confess Jesus as Savior and you're cleansed from all unrighteousness. That's how the cleansing takes place. It's through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus alone. There is no other way that you would cleanse yourself. 
other than coming to Christ and his bloody cross, his empty tomb, standing in hope of heaven. So as you and I do this, as you and I trust in the message of the gospel, as you and I strive after obedience to the gospel, meaning this, that we strive after holiness, we, we, we put energy behind growing more and more like God. And as we do that, what God does is He transforms us. See, every one of us at some point walked into the church, maybe not a physical building, but we walked into a group of people or, or somebody came to us and shared the gospel with us. And in those moments, we began to realize, man, I, my life really is just a big trash can, right? No matter how good you grew up, at some point you go, yeah, man, I'm filled with sin. I mean, I'm infected with sin. My, my life stinks, right? My life is hopeless. It's it's smelly. It's, it's not good. It's a trash can. We all came to God that way to begin with. And as we came to Him and as we trusted in Him, what He did was He transformed us. Right? And that's what God's in the business of doing is transforming trash cans into priceless serving dishes. The priceless serving dishes that He actually intended us to be prior to the fall in the garden when sin entered the world. God transforms us in that moment, takes away our filthy robes, gives us white robes of righteousness. And at that moment, in that point, we are then set apart. We're set aside like fine china in a cabinet. You know, if anybody's ever uh, inherited china or, or old dishes from grandma or a parent who passed away, right? And you Used to, we have some on a shelf in our house. They're actually really dusty and dirty. Right? Probably need to go clean them. The analogy actually works really well right there, doesn't it? Right? <laughs> Joe Nelson also made a comment that it's amazing when you start thinking about the constant cleaning that has to take place inside of us. Because this side of heaven, we have a tendency to go right back to our old trash can ways, don't we? So we've got to constantly come to the foot of the cross, asking Jesus, cleanse me again, uh, refresh me, renew me, and make me new again. And, and that, you know, that china that's on my shelf in my kitchen, or dining room I think is where it's at, probably needs that to take place. But it's set apart from all the other dishes. Because it's fine, it's priceless, it's worth, it's very valuable. Set apart. Holy. That's what those terms mean. Useful to God for every good work. So that's the first thing I see in the text is that we uh, must diligently seek to see the difference between being a trash can and a serving dish. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a trash can. <laughs> I don't want to be a serving dish. The second thing I notice uh, in the text it just goes right in line with this. And if you're in that same place, you're like, yeah, I don't want to be a trash can. I want to be a serving dish. The second thing I notice in the text in verse 22 is that we need to run from garbage and chase godliness then. Right? You've got to run from garbage, chase godliness. Now, the foundation of this principle, when you, when you think about this, this principle, run from garbage, chase godliness. I've heard some people say, and you've probably heard this said too, um, Whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Whenever you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. Make sense? Right? <clears throat> That's kind of the foundation of this principle. You've got to run away from some things 
And as you run away from some things, you've got to be running after other things. But you can't, can't, can't live your life, and I can't live my life perpetually running after or towards garbage. Because if I do that, if you do that, then we're going to inevitably be running away from the, the, the purity that, that God actually calls us uh, to produce. And, and only if you chase after godliness will purity be produced in your life. Because the flip side of this is this. You, you can't just spend your life merely uh, running away from the destination of garbage, catch this, without a new destination of godliness in the windshield. If you just spend your life running away from the, the destination of garbage without a new destination of godliness in your mind, where do you think you'll run to? You and I will run to places that we're naturally sinfully inclined to run to. We'll run from one sin to the next. Anybody ever experienced that in your life? And then you go, you know, really, if I was just chasing godliness and I was just trying to be more godly, I'd see a little bit of growth in my life. So, can't just run from garbage and not have a destination. You've got to run from garbage and chase godliness. This, this is why Paul instructs Timothy then in verse 22 to do what? Look at it. It says, flee youthful passions. Now, that phrase, he does not put a lot of qualification on it. Right? He doesn't describe or explain what that means. I think when we read that, and if you go back to the Greek that this was written in, you start thinking, well, this is just talking about sexual impurity. While I will say that that is definitely included in the meaning of the word, the context, and I say this last week, context, 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 the context might dictate something a little bit broader. It'll include that, yes, but I think it would be broader when you look at the context. So one way of doing this when you're trying to interpret Scripture is to look at what he says next, right? Don't prove text. Don't just lift it out of the text. Look at the context. So what does he say next? Flee youthful passions and pursue. Okay, now, now I'm thinking. He says pursue righteousness, uh, which could be termed as mature righteousness. Might be a way you might say it. Pursue righteousness, if he says mature righteousness, which is characterized as faith, love, and peace, or you could see him as four different pieces, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Either way, it doesn't matter. If you're trying to interpret what does youthful passions look like, then take righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and find out what the opposites are. That's the best way of using context in the Bible to interpret what the author intended, Right? Original author being God himself, writing through a human author named Paul. So if you look at it that way, yes, it would include sexual impurity for sure, because sexual impurity is not righteous, right? And it's not true love. But if you were to spread the context out to these other words that are there, and you find the opposites, what are the opposites of righteousness, faith, love, peace? He also says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Um, one way you could look at this, if you look at the opposites of those, the things that smell and look or taste like garbage, uh, you might think of words like filth or impurity, rebellion, right? Hate, conflict. Those would be opposites of the words he's used to describe what it looks like to pursue godliness. Now again, Foolishness. Absolute foolishness to run from one bad destination without a better destination in our sights. 
So Paul kind of lays this out, clarifies it for, for us all. As I was thinking about this, I thought of a, of a word phrase, or a, I think it's called an acronym. A good friend of mine and mentor early on in my journey with Jesus, he taught me this acronym. You might have heard it. It's called GIGO. Anybody ever heard GIGO? Raise your hand. Well, just two. Hey, this is awesome. GIGO. So you might write this down. G-I-G-O. Not like G.I. Joe, but it's G-I-G-O. And it stands for this. It stands for garbage in, garbage out. The idea is what you put in is going to inevitably come out, right? I mean, it, it just it proves true for everything. Garbage in, garbage out simply teaches you that. And I think that's what Paul's teaching Timothy here. He's reminding him of that principle. He's telling Timothy, run, run from the bad destination of your youthful passions. Chase the good destination of godliness. It's characterized as righteousness. Faith and love and peace. He says that's the destination that everybody who's genuinely following Jesus is actually going to chase after. I don't want you to miss this either because that last phrase can be easily missed by us who have been shaped and formed by an individualistic society. Okay? And I want to combat that. I think it's important when you're preaching God's word and when you're studying God's word to think about that. We have all been shaped and formed in a very individualistic society. It's my personal decision to follow Jesus. It's my personal decision to join a church. My personal decision to go do this job. My personal decision to go marry this person. It goes on forever. Is there truth in those things? Absolutely. But here's, here's where I think we fall short. We were not created merely as individuals. We were created for community. And short of community... As an individual, you and I can get very anemic and sick. So we wind up chasing garbage instead of godliness. The very tail end of what Paul is saying here in verse 22 teaches us that, right? Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You can't be alone with those if you're not alone with those. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just can't. So it's a community project. He's reminding Timothy of that. I think I've said this a number of times. If I remember right, there's like 65, I think it's 65 one another's in the New Testament. The practice of being in community with one another. My number might be wrong. In my mind right now, as I, as I stand, I think it's 65. There's a lot. Let me just say that there's a lot of one another's. There's more than enough to get you through a month if you took one for every day. The point is we were built for community. And this um, this not chasing garbage, this uh, chasing godliness, this running from garbage and chasing godliness doesn't happen alone. It happens in community. And really the question of this, when you, when you read this and when you learn this and you think about this, the question is, what destination am I chasing? Right? What destination am I chasing? Am I chasing destination of youthful passions? Again, it's a destination that looks and smells like the garbage of filth. Impurity, rebellion, hate, conflict? Or am I chasing the destination of godliness? The destination of godliness looks, it smells, it has an aroma about it of godly character traits. Those godly character traits are righteousness, holiness, purity, and faith, and love, and peace. Let the Spirit work on you in that area. I would ask Him to reveal to you which you're chasing after and how you might chase after godliness. 
again, going to become and be servants of God who are growing in godly character, then got to run from garbage, got to chase godliness. Third thing I notice is this. You want to live to serve God alone. Live to serve God alone. I think this final principle, verses 23 through 26, is what we'll look at. I think this final point really is Paul's bullseye. I think it's what he's aiming at all along, so to speak. I think he knows, Paul knows, and we know if you've been tracking, if you've been studying the book together with us, we know that there's highly influential leaders in the city of Ephesus, uh, Ephesus, right? If they would have had Twitter and Instagram and Facebook back then, you would have saw these guys' posts right along with everybody else, if not more so. And they would have sounded godly in some ways. There was some truth in what they were saying, but there was a little bit of cyanide in there too. Um, you ever hear the story about the, the brownies? Yeah? So, I love, anybody, anybody here love brownies? I love brownies. Brownies are good. I've been eating brownies for a long time. I, I could say, I, the problem is, is what's going through my mind about brownies right now is not good for the pulpit, so I'm resisting garbage. <laughs> Who would have thought? Brownies are really, really, really good, right? Especially the chocolatey ones, and when they're, when they're the, the, the one that got the chocolate on top, and when you mix some inside of it, you know, you've got like this layer of like ooey, gooey chocolatiness. It's like, that's a bomb. I'm way off track. <laughs> The story goes that, uh, you know, if you took just a little bit of dog poo and you mixed it in with the batch and then you made it and you told the kids, uh, would, you, would you eat this? And I could see Nancy's face. She's like, what, what the heck are you saying? <laughs> see, y'all are missing out you never heard this story. Your reaction if somebody tells you, I got some great brownies here, a little bit of dog poo mixed in, your reaction would be, no, what's nasty, right? Moral of the story goes, <laughs> you don't listen to a little bit of teaching just because it has a little bit of truth and a little bit of cyanide mixed with it. Right? A little bit of untruth in any kind of a teaching makes it useless, makes it garbage. That's the point of the story. <laughs> that, I think, is what Paul is talking about. Right? <laughs> That's what I think Paul's talking about. There's some leaders out there they were very influential. He's already named them, right? He's named them in, in chapter 1. He's already named them in chapter 2 again. They've become trash cans. That's what they've become. They have become trash cans instead of priceless serving dishes. They've been chasing what I think you would call the garbage of self-exaltation instead of pure godliness. What they've been doing is they've been spreading a cancerous false teaching as they sought to draw believers into their foolishness. Now with that context in mind, when Paul says this is have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, now it makes sense, doesn't it? Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them, the trash cans, right? Repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. 
So when you, when you think about all that in that kind of a context, you think about a self-serving mentality. That's what these false teachers had. A self-serving mentality is a snare of the devil. It's a snare of the devil that has wrecked many ships on the shorelines of consumerism. Because underneath a self-serving mentality, you're right alongside of, is a consumeristic issue. Right? It's just wanting to get, wanting to have an experience, wanting to be lifted up, wanting to get the attention. And serving God alone, that's the only key, I think, that Paul says here to getting and remaining free from what I would call a prison cell of ourselves. And when it comes to self-exaltation, when you think about this just for a brief moment, self-exaltation is basically serving selfish desires. And you think about where this pops up in the church, if you do it contextually, right, if you try to stick with the context as much as you can, probably never more clearly seen in the church today than the petty, ignorant arguments that often break out among God's people, don't you think? If you, if you let the context kind of drive the application here, it's the arguments that are taking place there, the petty arguments that Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, don't even get involved in that. It's not even worth your time, bro. And we see this in the church then and today, I think most clearly in the same kinds of petty, ignorant arguments that often break out among us. And, and a lot of times today, I'm sad to say this, a lot of times today, it's, it's far less theological in nature, although everything I think has a theological foundation, because what you believe about God dictates what you believe about yourself and who you become, which then dictates, I believe, what flows out of that, your actions and your words, right? So really, it is all theological in nature. It's just that not very often you're going to have somebody get up and be like, hey, I want to argue with you about this theological perspective real fast. It's not really that. It's really petty, petty things that break out. But let me say this too. Arguing passionately is not always a sin. You agree? Arguing passionately is not always a sin. But I think arguing for the sake of just arguing or arguing for the sake of just proving that you're right or arguing for the sake of just winning the fight, I think that is a sin. And that's why Paul reminds Timothy that someone who truly wants to serve God alone above all else must not argue to merely argue or argue to win the fight, but must instead practice kindness, right? And patient teaching. That's what you got to do, Timothy. Patiently teach while enduring all of the evil that's going to get thrown around at you when you're confronting error and falsehood. And the intended goal, then, towards the end of the text, he says, the intended goal in a, a member or a leader or a minister's mind who is intending to serve God and, and grow in godly character, the intended goal at the finish line is to see other people repent, right? It's to walk in repentance ourselves, but it's to see others repent as well. It's to see others walk in freedom. That should be our intended goal. <coughs> if we keep that as our intended goal, then I don't think we give in to self-centeredness, as these other leaders had done in Paul and Timothy's day. See, if you and I would live our lives to serve God alone, then what would we do? We would resist self-centeredness. We, we would continue to repent when we get caught up in arguing to win the fight, continue to repent, um, when, when, you, when you just try to prove that you're right all the time, 
And what you would do is you would then repent from that and then press into serving God by doing what? Patiently enduring the evil. And let me say, I think patiently enduring evil is like, that's a really tough thing to do, don't you think? I don't want to patiently endure evil. I want to kill evil. Okay, anybody else? Like, especially when it's evil that I see in somebody else. Evil that you see, may I like to hide that a little bit, but evil I see in somebody else, kill that. Take that out. <laughs> Chase it off. Patiently endure evil. Speak truth. Speak truth so that others may repent and be set free. I also think, don't throw your pearls before swine. If they're not going to listen, they ain't going to listen. Why waste your time? Right? Got to remember, a self-serving mentality. I think, again, it's a snare of the devil that's wrecked many ships on the shorelines of what, again, I keep calling consumerism. It's a self-centered, me, 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 and what do I get out of this mentality? Serving God and serving God alone. I think that's the key. That's the key to getting and remaining free from that prison cell of our own sinful and selfish desires, right? So that's what I see in the text. That's what I see in the text. So in conclusion, right, as we try to wrap this stuff up and, and land the plane, um, here's what we've learned. We've learned that a servant of God is, who, who is growing in godly character has got to see the difference between a trash can and a serving dish, right? Got to see that difference. Got to run from garbage, chase godliness. Got to live our lives to serve God and serve God alone instead of our own selfish desires. I, I think about everything that uh, we've looked at and everything about everything that I have said so far, and uh, it all reigns true, right? I, I hear a lot of guys, and sometimes I say this, like, oh, I disagree with some of the stuff I said this morning. I think so far, maybe as I look back on it um, in the week to come, maybe I'll find something, but by and large, I think about everything here, and I go, it has a, a ring of truth to it, right? Um, sounds good. But also at the same time, when I, as I read and as I think about it, it feels really impossible. Anybody else feel that? Like these things feel impossible. Here's the reason why. Here, here's the way I wrote it down in my journal. I am way too prone to being more like a trash can than I am of being uh, more like a serving dish, especially when it comes to my thoughts, my words, and my actions, right? And I just find all too af- often that I, I behave and act and think and speak more like a trash can than I do a serving dish. Uh, way too prone, I think, to run towards garbage instead of chasing godliness. Um, I find myself, at least in my mind, at least in my mind, chasing self-exaltation uh, instead of living my life to serve God alone. You know, and that, that can happen uh, in, in places where I just I turn to a people pleaser, right? You'd think that being a people pleaser would actually be a form of serving other people. It's really not. It's actually a form of self-exaltation. You get that? Isn't that crazy? I never thought about it that way. It just kind of came to me. The Holy Spirit just showed me that. I was like, man, that stinks. I was thinking about um, different experiences I've had. And, and uh, you know, I, I think about uh, one, of, one of the, like, long, I don't know what you call it. It's, it's the thing that I've struggled with for a long time. Somebody picks a fight with me. Right, verbally or whatever. Somebody picks a fight with me, especially if it's picked on some kind of foolishness. You know what that's like, right? Some fool <laughs> picks a fight with you, and it's like, are you stupid? <laughs> I'm being really, really honest, okay? This is what goes on in my mind. It's not just what goes on in my mind. This is what comes out of my mouth in the moment sometimes, right? 
I get somebody to pick a fight with me. It's based on some kind of foolishness. In my mind, I'm like, you should quit acting like a fool because this is not going to end well for you. This is what happens inside of me. I wind up going off half-cocked in that moment. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? You know, go off half-cocked. You're like totally, like for me, and I don't know if you're this this way too, but I'm highly strategic. So I'm already 10 steps ahead, right? I I, I know how I'm going to decimate your argument. I know how I'm going to destroy you in the process. And I don't think those things. Okay? I don't think that, but that's what's taking place inside of my heart and mind in those moments sometimes, and I act like a trash can. Right? If you're to put this together in a process, on the back side of that, I wind up feeling guilty. I wind up feeling some shame because of my sin. Um, moving forward then, I just let my thoughts and my eyes linger on impure things. Those impure things might bring a moment of sense of pleasure to escape that pain or that fear that's there, right? What do I do there? I'm chasing garbage, right? These are the things that I'm pretty sure I do really well when I evaluate and assess myself, my own heart, my own condition. And here's the thing, even if, even if none of this ever comes out publicly, right? Like I don't actually go off half-cocked on somebody. I don't, I don't you know, This is maybe what takes place inside more often than I'd like to admit. Wind up chasing garbage. Once I realize I'm just like rolling around the pig pen, you know, with the the son who left the father, prodigal son, um, once I realize I'm back there in that same place again, then I just want to try to prove that I'm better than I really am. Have you ever get there, right? You try cleaning up all your own mess all on your own, try to prove that you're better than you really are. Um, if I'm just doing it in the argumentative standpoint, I just jump back into the argument and try to prove once again <laughs> how righteously right I am. Because I can back it up with passages of Scripture, right? I'm pretty sure we all as believers have done that at least. Man, I got a book <laughs> full of God's Word. Authoritative. And that can hurt people pretty bad and be pretty sinful at the same time. What I wind up doing in those moments is exalting myself. Why would I confess all this stuff in front of you guys as we look at the passage? I think my hope is maybe the Holy Spirit will use it to help you do some self-evaluation here in a few moments. It's also, it's always a good opportunity for me to uh, publicly <laughs> say, hey, I'm a, I'm a sinner too. And uh, to be reminded of that, what a wretched sinner I really am, right? Along with Paul, Romans 7:24. who's going to deliver me from that body of death? I love Romans 7. You know why? because I really love Romans 8. <laughs> and Romans 7 sets up Romans 8 so beautifully. Like, if you read the Romans 8 1, I, you know, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you read that without having Romans 7 in your view, Romans 8 1 means nothing. Got to read Romans 7. <laughs> what a wretched sinner I am. What a trash can I am, right? Uh... Who's going to deliver me from these sinful habits? How can I be set free from these shackles so that I can then freely serve God, grow in godliness, right? I think the only answer from the text we're studying today is simply verse 21. If you draw a circle around that, put a smiley face or arrows pointing to it in your Bible, I think it's verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. It's beautiful. 
The only hope that you and I have is to be cleansed from our sin. It's the only hope we have. And the only way to be cleansed from our sin is to once again trust in the finished work of Jesus. It's finished. And he said that on the cross. It is finished. Doesn't mean you and I don't still have some work to go do to keep walking in more godliness. The way that you do that is you begin at the cross every time. You begin at the bloody cross of Calvary. You, you, you find assurance that you can rest in, in Christ's powerful victory in the empty tomb. You know that death will not have the final say in your life. You stand then in, in hope-filled expectation of Christ's faithful promise to do what? His faithful promise to rescue you and I once and for all from this sin-infected life in eternity. In eternity, it's all brought into consummation, right? It's all brought into place, completed once and for all. Gospel, the gospel alone, that's what frees me from being a trash can to being a serving dish. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray, God, that as we close our time, Lord, that you would help us to land at the foot of your cross. Trust once again in the power of that empty tomb. Stand in the hope of eternity. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.